We are in Joel chapter 2, and quite, I have a question for you uh, to think about. And uh, my question is this, uh, why is it, why are the prophetic books written in such a way they're so hard to decipher? Now, and there's not, a, not, there's not a right or wrong answer to that. And we want to take our language style and put that back when the people were writing 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. And so I just, I was, I, again, I just thought I wanted your thoughts because I respect y'all as you have very not Bible knowledgeable. And so I was just, uh, if you tried to give a specific prophecy, uh, then it's going to be very hard for people of yesteryear to understand it this way. We can dig through there. <clears throat> You'll understand why I asked that question because chapter 2 is very hard to, un- and there's no really hardly a universal agreement on the even conservative scholars. Uh, Day of Judgment. It's interesting. I, I was uh, reading this book and uh, the lesson book. Bill was driving down the street feeling good and enjoying himself, but when he came to his intersection, he turned without stopping even though the light was red. He had no clue that his violation had been caught on camera until he received a citation with four photos. Photo one, Bill at the wheel looking carefree and relaxed. Photo two, the rear of his car in the intersection with the light showing red. Photo three, his car's license plate showing clearly. And photo four, and the red light showing before the front of his car entered the intersection. The day Bill received that citation was judgment day for him. Bill hadn't gotten away with that illegal turn. It cost him $410. My wife and I were on the, on the, on the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike uh, when we took that one weekend, and we went uh, maybe, I don't know, an hour? $31. The toll. $31 in the mail. So I, I would encourage you not necessarily use the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Unless you have those uh, free easy pass things, that would be helpful. But we do not have that. Day of Judgment. The Judgment Day we see is it coming. The Day of the Lord, it is coming. Joel brings it to forefront here in chapter 2. And so I put your thinking caps on as we read through Joel. Not the whole, in chapter yet, but just part of it. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Before I read further, remember now, a comma can separate a lot of years, centuries, in fact. Sometimes Paul's here, and the next part of the verse, it talks about another time, another prediction for future. And sometimes there's the immediate fulfillment, and then also there's a later fulfillment of the same verse, too. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. 
Before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness, and they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one of his, on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, and the heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Isn't that interesting? The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Talk about gloom and doom. That is pretty much a gloom and doom. So I want, to, I want you to think about this for a moment, and I was struck with this a couple of days ago. As we, we often think of the negative side of most things. For example, vomit. When I upchuck, we think that's like, man, that's, oh, that's going to be such a terrible thing. But on the other side of the upchucking, I always, almost always, once I'm done, I feel better. Get that is like a good sneeze or a good cough or, or we think well the, the terrible day. Of, but look what ends how this ends and thirty two I think it will be two thirty two thirty two. Terrible day, but and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So on the other side of the upchucking, there is, oh, I feel better now. Finally got all that stuff out. And we have this terrible day of the Lord coming, but it's, it's the silver lining on the other side. Think about the tribulation. What a terrible, isn't that going to be a terrible time, the tribulation? But after the Lord comes back and he sets up his kingdom, it's going to be a thousand years of, as my tie says, the lion and the lamb lie down together. I was asked about, I think at least three or four times today, oh, I like your tie. What is that? I said, well, it's the, lion, it's the millennial kingdom. And so, okay, that's nice. And so, there we, uh, and so they're not sure, all of them were sure what the millennial kingdom, I probably, you know, maybe, maybe one does, didn't know what it was, but there we are. And so that's, but do you see what I'm saying? We, 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 we look at the, the bad, if I would just, for some reason, I have, I develop a one hour terminal illness when I go home. That's going to be a difficult one hour terminal illness for, not be terminal, well, difficult my wife, but for me, that one-hour terminal illness, when it is over and I am in glory. So we, we don't, we have so much, I don't know, maybe it's just not, maybe it's just me. We, I look at the negative-isms and I don't see the other side, what God is doing with that. And so if we look at just the, just the, the gloominess and doomness of chapter 2 and don't look beyond it, to win chapter 2, 28, 9, 30, 30, and 31, 32 for that. And the deliverance comes. And so chapter 2, back to chapter 2, verse 1. So just think about that possibly as we consider this chapter 2 and 3 of Joel. Why is he called a minor prophet? Why is he among the minor prophets? Is he less important? No. 
They could have put all on one scroll. They were called the Twelve. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 2, 28, 9, 30, 31, and 32 is actually chapter 3, and our chapter 3 is actually chapter 4 in the Hebrew Scriptures, and so that's just a little bit different. There's just a big change of scenery at 28. I'm sure we will not get that far this evening. Powerful, destructive, runs swiftly, covers a large area. A description of a catastrophe. If a catastrophe was coming, how would you prepare? This is what the catastrophe is coming, and God tells the people of Israel, Judah, whoever you want to have when you want to put him writing, that they are to prepare. Are we not told to prepare now? So, what do people earthly, but not spiritual, what not spiritually speaking, but materially, are there people preparing now? What are some ways people are preparing now for the end of the world? Song of toilet paper. That's correct. You have uh, those, uh, I would like to get these from, uh, those Patriot food, where you get them for like, was it three years or something? You can, they are good for three years, and you put them downstairs, and, or you put them in your, you put them in your bomb shelter? 20 years. A guy I worked with over at Brascom, he had a bomb shelter that was a really big bomb shelter in Texas. Matter of fact, when, when COVID hit, he left and went back to Texas. And believe it or not, a few months later, he died from COVID, even though he had a bomb shelter that he was... And he, it, so people are preparing and people are wanting to get their brains, freeze their brains. So maybe a hundred years from now when the technology is available, they can come back and live some more in this world. I don't think, honestly, would you want to have your brain frozen and stay out of heaven for a longer time? As a Christian, that should not even be cross your mind twice. Let's go to heaven. I trust you. That mindset. So here we have our key verse is verse 13, which we, I don't think we quite read that far yet. And rend your heart. What's verse 12? Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me, 2.12, with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping, and with mourning. Oh, that America would grab hold of that verse and rend your heart and not your garments. Mm, I love that. I almost wanted to call it that. Rend your heart and not your garments. It's that inner, it's the changing on the inside. It's that repentance from the inside that manifests itself on the outside. That's what he's asking for her here. This, there's a lot of ritual religiosity in America. I just was watching Todd Frio on Monday, and it talked about all the Christmas shows just from this year. I was flabbergasted at what passes for Christmas shows. One of them, it was Hillsong, all of them, I think, were, but one of them had guy with a shirt off and like those tight pants, and it was like, and these women are going around on these circles where they, they roll around like that and, and had fire, and it's like, what does that have to do with Christmas even? Christmas is about, about the, the Savior. So we have a lot of religiosity, but not a lot of true Christianity. And so my personal opinion there, but I think it would prove it out. Uh, Joel describes the day of the Lord, uh, and he's merciful, the rest of that verse, and gracious, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. The day of the Lord is coming, but I'm telling you, if we don't have the tribulation, the Israelites don't trust Christ as personal Savior as a nation, and we don't get into the millennium. We've got to get past the, the difficult time first, because on the other side of that, on the other side of that is glory for us. It's going to be an amazing thing. It's like, it's the practical is your, our lives right now. Your life right now. We, we are looking, aren't you anxious for heaven? 
But we remain here because I believe God's the only one that can choose death or life. He, death and life, is he gives life. He grants death when he is ready for us to go. But until that point in time, we're going to have sore throats. By the way, just so you know, as a church, I have stepped back from teaching the computer classes for the senior centers. Tomorrow's my last one. Because of my voice, I, I don't want the, I, my responsibilities to you as a church. And so I told him, I just, you know, I, I'm getting the uh, little effects of pharyngitis already, so I want to step back and be, be proactive. And so, just so you know, so I can protect my voice, I'm using it on the job. I've stopped teaching the computer classes. But we, we are looking forward to, in this heaven, but right now we just keep carrying on. We keep going on. Some of you are living through pain every single day, tremendous pain and anxiety. But we just don't go out and end our lives because we want to go to heaven. Although we do want to go to heaven, we have to trust God for all that because we know it will be worth it all. I, I talked to someone this, this week. I said, perhaps you're there for such a time as this. Perhaps that's why you're there. I told Teresa on Monday, I said, Teresa, I think sometimes God may have us here on the earth. There's one particular person that he wants us to lead to the Lord, and we, we need to stay here and hang in there. She was discouraged. We just hang in there and let, be used by God, perhaps, hopefully more, but perhaps there's one particular person that only you and I can ever reach for the, with the gospel. Well, we're still here. I'm telling you, I really believe personally, if God was done with you, you wouldn't be here. You would be up in heaven already. But he's left us here. I'm telling you, we have, we have an opportunity. We're living in history. We're living in prophecy, I think, fulfilled. We have a pope now in the world that has just now signed on, pretty much sanctioning same-sex couples, marriage, strictly contradicting the own teaching of his own church. So is this the pope that's one going to be in charge when the Antichrist? I don't know. But we see that the lessening and, and that the... the ecumenicalism coming on. It's like we're one, and by the way, we're getting further and further on the outside. You and I who believe what I'm teaching tonight, when I teach Sundays, how, we be, how someone's saved, the Bible's true, we're to follow Bible principles, we're going to become more and more the fringe, I believe. But doesn't mean we stop believing the Bible. It simply means we hold forth and allow God to use us. All right, what happened in chapter one? Question number one, page one. Well, chapter one was the invasion of the locusts. We saw that in chapter one, verse four, the palmer worm, the locust, and the locust and the canker worm, the caterpillar came on and completely decimated the land. Warning, warning, the devastated land. Well, there's some major differences in, in the teaching or beliefs about this. God has, knows exactly what it means, but we as human beings struggle sometimes with what God's taking, saying to us. First of all, invasion of the northern army. And so the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord really refers to the time, even conservative scholars don't agree, perhaps in Ezekiel 38 starts the day of the Lord. Perhaps it's the beginning of the tribulation. And I think the day of the Lord goes all the way to the end of the millennium. Some think the day of the Lord ends at the Battle of Armageddon. But the day of the Lord, it refers to a period of time at the end of the age. It may refer to a time much closer to the prophet's own day. Maybe both here. The day of the Lord could be when God's going to bring Assyria. As you well know, Assyria comes on the scene. Do you remember the story? It's Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter, <laughs> the story is there. We find that when Sennacherib, I've heard that pronounced, I'll listen to a message, the guy calls it Sennacherib. Who's Sennacherib? 
the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib when he comes. Oh, Sennacherib. <laughs> Maybe he's right, but that's how he pronounced it. He comes on. Judah is in dire straits, 701 B.C. Do you remember this story? Rabshakeh comes and proclaims the wonderfulness of Sennacherib, Sennacherib. And Hezekiah goes up and lay, we got, Lord, we got problems here. And that very night, the angel of the Lord, which I believe very possibly could be the angel of the Lord, a definite article there, I think, he, regard 185,000 lose their lives. One amazing thing. So that this could be in reference to that. It could be the reference to Ezekiel 38 and 39. It could be also Revelation 9. It could also be Revelation 19. And so there's a lot of possibilities with all this. So we'll just try to clear that up as much as possible and leave you to determine your own way what about this, what you think, not your own way, but what you think is the best uh, explanation of these passages. We find in verse 1, we know specifically that a trumpet can do several things, but here it's a warning, a clarion call to wake up. And where I work, they will, you can hear that they have a little, and they can get all call. So we were all called down yesterday to meet the interim director of our ad. All everybody, Sherry wants to meet with you right now in the basement for 15 minutes. So everybody, we all just stop what we're doing, and down we went. Because that was an all call all on board. And so here's a trumpet call for everyone who's listening and reading. Wake up, repent, and weep. Not only did he say, if you'll notice in end of 2-1, the day of the Lord cometh, but what is the adjective, adjective, the adjective phrase? That's not an adjective phrase, a prepositional phrase. For it is nigh at hand. Not only is the not only is the day of the Lord coming, but it's close. Could be the Assyrian horde coming. Some think it's another big uh, refers to the locust invasion of chapter one, another locust invasion, or referring to that original invasion. So there's two. First of all, the identity is number one, the army of locusts, grasshoppers. Two, an army of people. An army of people. That's the two ideas. Locusts, uh, we find then it could be like horses, it says there, or like horsemen. We mean actually horses or horsemen. It would help us with the, when they're jumping on the walls and things of chapter what, 2 there. They're jumping on the walls. Verse 7, they run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone in his ways and ranks, etc. That would be if you favoring the locusts. I typically favor the army of people. We may have personal, I think, would favor that. Other Bible teachers hold an army of people. Warriors are from some foreign nation. Those who hold this view point out, first of all, and I put this in your outline, the locust plague was passed, but this invasion is still future. Second, in 220, it's called a northern army. Locusts usually invade Palestine from the southeast. Third, not only do locusts leave lands desolate, so do armies. Remember Sherman's march in, in the Civil War. Fourth, falling upon the sword and not being wounded. Sound more like an army of people than locusts, and they're specifically called people in verse 2. A day of darkness and of gloominess, etc., etc., etc. A great people and a strong people. Do you recall what happened in 722 B.C., only about 20 years before Sennacherib surrounded Jerusalem? Assyria had taken over the northern kingdom, put them in captivity. Now, Sennacherib and his group of 885,000, plus one was Rabshakeh, and I said 185,002, King Rabshakeh. King wasn't even there, by the way. Do you know the story? He was, Rabshakeh, the king was in another town, 
when all this happened. And so he escaped and went back home, but then he was worshiping, remember, in his own temple and his own sons. <laughs> off of his, off, they cut his head off, but they killed him. We find then the interesting, if you, uh, I like what Henry Morris says, a little side note here. The prophecy may refer to the armies of Gog, which shall come like a storm, like a cloud to cover the land. Remember Ezekiel 38. Israel will think that they are safe in their land, and here comes the horde, the northern confederacy. Or it may refer to a time seen by the prophet Zechariah. We should turn to that. Zechariah 14, please. Hold your finger in Joel, and let's look at Zechariah. I I cannot wait till I get to heaven, and the people, I I know they're going, how do you pronounce all these names I've been massacring? They're probably just going to wag their heads at this old Kentucky preacher, uh, Amos, not Amos. Uh, you know, I probably have mastered every single name I've probably massacred. Chapter 14 of Zechariah, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations. Now, when is this talking about? I'll ask you, just, you, you think about this. For, when, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled. And the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives. Battle of Armageddon. I believe that's what it refers to. They're going to surround the city again, and I believe they come to fight the Antichrist. We will talk about that more in a few weeks likely, hopefully, and then they turn their attention to Christ when he comes back, and then there's going to be a hundred, I think it's 180, 180 miles complete valley, maybe not quite that much, but it's this whole valley of Jezreel all the way down to Jerusalem. There's going to be a lot of blood. There's going to be, Christ is going to fight. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Jewish people receive him as their Messiah. Possibly this refers in essence to that as well. Darkness, day of the Lord, verse 2. What kind of mood do we have in day 2? A gloomy a darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and strong. There hath not ever been the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Quite the army. Quite the army. Question 2, what kind of mood is set? I think it's got moved darkness. It's, it's, a, it's a dark day. But now that also ties in with darkness of Exodus when the, there was the plague of darkness. Uh, in Isaiah 8, 22, Isaiah 62, 60, verse 2, Amos 5, 18 to 20. The scriptures, uh, create a, these descriptors create a gloomy, foreboding feel to the day. Darkness in the Bible is a figure of misery and distress. Isn't the day of Armageddon going to be a day of misery? For the unbelieving world? Yes, it is. There are going to be so many unprepared. So many unprepared today. For the Lord, if he were to come back today, how many are unprepared? I was just thinking, I told my wife, I said, coming home Sunday night, or I forget, maybe yesterday, all the things we enjoy as human beings. But how many little children never even are able to be born into the world? You and I. To taste a steak or whatever it is you like. To have ice cream. To have your favorite drink. To be loved by someone. To love someone. 
To have a mother that holds you. How many millions? It should break our hearts. How many millions of our own country, little babies that never ever, you and I, we, we've had the blessings of, you, you see what I'm saying? We've, God has blessed us. Uh, abortion wasn't such a big thing in 1961. Had I been born in 2023, to a, a woman who doesn't know Christ as personal Savior, I may not have even gotten very far at all. You see, you, you see what I'm saying? We have been so blessed. And sometimes we just take it. I wanted to have, a, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful that this coming Christmas is not going to be as cold as last Christmas. It was so cold. You, you see, things pass me by. Perhaps they pass you by. And we just take them for granted. And, and we, oh, heat. Aren't you thankful for heat and cold in the summer and food? And, and we, 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 we just should be thankful. This is a gloomy day. But remember, on the other side of the day is verse, 20, is, is verse 32, when they're going to be delivered. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance. There's deliverance. The same Jerusalem that's been ransacked and run over and shot over, and the biggest, it's the most contested city in the world today, and I think it still will be until Christ rules and reigns, is one day going to be a city where Christ rules and reigns. What is, what is this city called that he's going to rule from for eternity? The new Jerusalem. It's his city. And for any other culture to think, or belief system to think that they're going to somehow usurp his city is ludicrous without sense. The day of darkness. So I use these four terms, the day of darkness, gloominess, clouds of darkness, same terms used in Deuteronomy 4.11 to describe the darkness that surrounded Mount Sinai when, when the law came forth. So sometimes God uses darkness to get his, his, his voice across, if you would, how does this Joel describe the number of those army? Well, in verse 2, it says, Like the morning spread upon the mountains, when dawn comes, and the rays cover all the mountains, if you would, not just one. The Assyrians, says one, one commentator, were a great people and strong in comparison to Israel. They have just captured the northern kingdom. If it's, the one, if it's talking about the battle in Isaiah chapter 10 with Hezekiah, I think it's chapter 10, and then the destructiveness of the army. Question four, what does Joel use to describe the before and after pictures in verse 3? 2, 3 of Joel, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is of the garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing can escape them. Now we see that in the caterpillars would leave there, but also an army that comes over a land. There's going to be you look at the you look at you look over in Ukraine, the places that have been so thoroughly bombed. All you got is rubble here, rubble there, and, and there's nothing left of consequence. How long is it going to take Ukraine to rebuild? It's going to take a decade or two or three. So the army comes and leaves nothing. Beforehand, it was like the Garden of Eden, and now desolate wilderness. That would almost, uh, that would almost uh, uh, harbor, and almost harbor, but almost would think, make us think that Ezekiel 38 might come into play here because they're, the army's going to run in over uh, Israel and, and come in uh, such a, a great number, etc. 
destructiveness. A fire, like, it's like the fire that Samson took the foxes, remember? Uh, he was so angry, took 300 foxes. I'm not, he must have been a quick dude to catch 300 foxes and tie their tails together, the poor foxes, and set them on fire and threw all their fields and uh, a tremendous fire. But it leaves everything barren. The country that had been burned up, scorched, and reduced to ashes. Now Sargon II, an Assyrian king, described an inscription carved in a rock, how his army laid cities waste and burned up the fields and devastated their meadows. Let me ask you before I pray in closing, does God sometimes use those who do not believe in him, those who are actually contrary to him, to accomplish his purposes? Yes. Yes. Is Satan, in, in some regard, isn't he not really accomplishing in this? Not, to think, but certainly human beings are. They are. May we trust in the one, we just, we have to sometimes say, Lord, I'm just trusting you. I don't know all the end from the beginning. I don't understand exactly where this, I'll be honest with you as a pastor. I'm not sure exactly we can, I'm not sure exactly where that fits. There's possibilities here. Some of it's pretty clear. Some of it, what is he talking about? But I know the Savior. I know, I know who God is, and he has a purpose in this. And we're just going to sit back and sit back, Lord your God, and we'll trust you. There's plenty enough for me that I can understand clearly to last me for a lifetime. To learn. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. As mentioned earlier on, all these good answers. It's not so clear to where unbelievers can easy for unbelievers to understand it takes the spirit teaching us and lord it makes us dig makes us study lord may we be students of your word may we not be uh satisfied with a surface understanding of your word that's just the starting point lord help us to grow and lord we're just thankful that you have it you are sovereignly in control and all these things we don't understand exactly where they're going to fit how they fit in the past exactly where they might fit in the futures there's some possibilities but lord you do And we'll look back, we'll get to heaven, and we'll look back and say, oh, that's exactly what he's talking about as we look back on it. But Lord, we're just thankful there's a deliverance on the other side. May we always see that you have a plan and trust you in everything that you've laid out for us. May we be faithful to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.